Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of Sibling Chivalry. Um, as always, I am Sarah Beth. Um, we have a special guest with us today. We have Michaela. Um, she is in Texas, so say hi, Michaela. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, today we are um, going to talk about the topic of loss and grief and how we can, uh, how we process it, how we work through it. Um, so, um, you know, there are a lot of different ways to process loss. Um, there's, I don't really think there's a wrong way to process loss. Um, everybody's unique, so everybody's going to have their own way of doing it. Um, so Michaela and I are going to kind of, um, talk about how we process our grief. Um, Michaela's going to, share her story of loss and talk about her brother a little bit um, and and how she processed her grief. I honestly don't think that there's ever an end to processing grief. I feel like we are constantly trying to process it. We were just we were just talking about yesterday on our and our um, prep call for for this that you know it's it's crazy how you feel like you're good and then it just pops up again, you know, and you have to process again. You're always constantly in this cycle of you feel good. It pops up, you process it, you're feeling good again, and you just kind of cycle through it. So we're going to kind of talk about that a little bit. So yeah, so Michaela, I'm going to kind of pass it to you now and let you kind of talk about your brother, you can kind of share some of his background as to what his disability was, just a little bit about him, and then obviously we'll talk about what happened when you lost your brother. So take it away. Thanks. So my brother Patrick um, was born um, with a genetic condition, and at the time, he was one of 500 known cases, so we really didn't know what to expect. Um, before he was born, uh, my parents knew that there were going to be a couple things wrong, but didn't know the extent of it. Um, and it was a learning process for everyone. It was a learning process for us. It was a learning process for the doctors. Um and the doctors didn't think he would make it out of the NICU, and he did um, after about 55 days. And then after that, they didn't think he would see his first birthday. Um, and yet again, he proved them wrong, um, and he lived to be 13. Um, he was total care. Um, he had the cognitive abilities of maybe a two-year-old. Um, he was in a wheelchair, um, he d was nonverbal, he was tube-fed, he was in diapers. Um, the easiest way we would tell people is there's something wrong with every one of his body systems except for his heart. Um, and so it was years of hospital visits and specialist appointments and therapies. Um, when he was about seven, um, we went on a make-a-wish trip, and that was probably the longest time we were able to go without a visit to the doctor um, or 
to a therapist or to the hospital um, was that one week that we were in Disney at Disney um, for his Make-A-Wish trip. But um, as he got older, um, it started to become more clear that he just wasn't doing well. Um, he started to get sick more often. Um, he had to have um, more surgeries. At one point, um, he began to have seizures, um, and then he had brain surgery, and he was just in pain. Um, so many times you wouldn't know that he was in pain because he still had such a positive attitude about it. Um, but he was on such a list of medications um, for everything. And um, then it got to the point where we were in the hospital with him more than we were out of the hospital. And so the summer before he passed away, it was it was starting to look like this was this was on the downhill. And um, at the time, he was on palliative care, and um, he had the best palliative care team, um, and they really worked with my family. And uh, the thing that I think made the biggest difference for me as a sibling was that they didn't pretend that I was invisible if I was in the room. Um, they would address me and involve me in the conversation and let me know what was going on too. Um, but then in November of that year um, of 2013, um, my parents had some difficult decisions to make. Um, my brother had gotten pneumonia and he just was not getting better. Um, despite the amount of oxygen he was on, um, he was on BiPAP, he still just was not getting better. Um, and so it was a Monday, we made the decision to put him on hospice and take him home. Um, Patrick absolutely loved fire trucks. They were his favorite thing in the whole world. Um, the fire department in my hometown was like family to us. Uh, and so because he was on um, oxygen um, on his way home from the hospital, my mom actually called the fire chief um, and asked if they could send an ambulance to take my brother home um, because my parents weren't able to transport him at that time, and they were worried about um, somebody being there with him while they uh, transported him home. And so he had his last ride in an ambulance. Um, I mean, before that, every year the fire department would give him a ride in the fire truck. Um, so many times he would take ambulances to and from the hospital. Um, but that was his last hospital ride, and that was on a Monday evening. Um, and then about the around the same time that Friday, um, we lost him. 
Um, it's weird how vivid some of the details are and yet how fuzzy others are. I remember that on that Friday afternoon, my mom and my um, other brother, my typically developing brother, had gone to get Panda Express for dinner. And um, my dad and I were sitting with Patrick in his room and his breathing started to slow. And my dad called my mom and said, pick up the food and come directly home. Don't stop anywhere else. And so her and my brother got home, dropped the food on the kitchen table and came into Patrick's room. And we all sat there, held him, snuggled him and kissed him for the last time and sat there as, as he took his last breaths and being able to be there with him was incredible. Um, it was, it was sort of peaceful actually, uh, that both my parents and me and my brother were able to sit there with Patrick and this sense of calm just came over the house. And there was some part of us that knew Patrick was now in peace. He no longer was in pain. Um, and then we called the hospice nurse and um, called his home health nurses. He had two, two home health nurses at the time. Um, and they, they would work during the day. Um, and they wanted to know uh, when he passed. And so they both actually came back to the house that night um, to be able to say goodbye. And um, then the hospice nurse called and the funeral home came and got his body and the house then just felt quiet. We stood in the hallway and it just felt weird. There were no machines beeping. There was no oxygen running. Um, it was just eerily quiet. And the next few days are sort of a blur. Um, I was 17 at the time, um, a senior in high school. And I hadn't been at school that week, and I knew I wouldn't be at school the next week either. And none of us knew what to do at that time. It was so much of our lives had revolved around Patrick that all of that had suddenly stopped. And so we made it through the funeral. Um, and then a week later, my brother and I went back to school. My dad went back to work. Um, my mom was a full-time caregiver for Patrick at that time. So 
then it was just her at home. And I know those first couple of weeks were really difficult for her not having somebody to take care of during the day. And um, so a few months later, she decided that she was going to go back to work um, as well. And she's now actually working um, with families with children with special needs, um, which is not something I think she ever would have done um, had she not had Patrick. And um, so it was November of 2013 and, you know, Thanksgiving's coming up and then Christmas. And one of the things my family did um, in his memory was um, we made uh, breakfast. I think it was some sort of breakfast casserole. And we took it to the fire department and we made one and took it to the nurse's station of the floor that he usually stayed at um, when he was in the hospital. Um, we wanted to do it at 2 a.m. because when my brother stayed in the hospital, that was, that was his wake up time. When he was at home, it was a little later, thankfully, because he also liked to make rooster noises when he woke up. <laughs> so that was that was a great way to wake up, um, but not so much at four in the morning when you really just want to be able to sleep a little bit longer. And so I don't think it was probably 2 a.m., but it was around midnight probably that we took it um, and were able to sort of say goodbye to the nurses too because they knew us they knew Patrick and they too had become part of part of our family and um yeah so then um made it through that and the next few months so come January things Things were weird. Um, it was sort of like me trying to figure out how to live without my brother, who I was without my brother. And everybody can remember being 17 and not knowing who they were and where their place was in the world. And I was trying to figure that out already. And then on top of that, I was trying to figure out who I was without my brother. Um, there were, there was nothing, um, I don't want to say holding back because he didn't, he didn't hold us back at all, but um, we were given tickets to a show and it was the first time the four of us were able to go somewhere without worrying about what nurse was going to be with Patrick and uh, what they needed to know and what time we would have to be back because the nurse had to leave. And um, yeah, doing things as a family without Patrick was weird. It definitely was an adjustment. 
and it took a very long time for that to feel okay um i mean even things like my senior prom staying out and not thinking about what time i had to be home so that i could help take care of patrick and um then being able to go to college away from home not worrying about what happens if patrick gets sick and those those few months um from the time patrick died to the time i went to college um it was it was quite a an adjustment um to to put it one way and it i think a lot of my choices at that time in my life i was still putting patrick at the the sort of forefront of all of that and all of my decisions still revolved around him even though he was no longer here um because i was involved with patrick's care and you know if you have a a pretty severely um disabled sibling there are a lot of medical needs and you have no choice but to learn those if you are um playing a role in their care and so from an early age um i was learning medical things that most people don't learn until their last year of nursing school um and most people don't learn at all um and so i started college as a nursing major a year later realized that's not what i wanted to do maybe i wanted to be premed and um help help people that way and i continued through through college um looking looking at premed and i finished that and still didn't didn't feel like that's what i was supposed to be doing but i think part of me didn't want to let that go because i felt like letting that go was letting patrick go and and now i'm at a place where um i'm actually working on my msw my masters in social work right now and i realized that patrick would be proud of me no matter what i i am who i am and he will always be a part of me but i can also sort of um make make my own decisions and he wouldn't want me making choices and doing something that i'm not that my entire heart is not in um and so i know that he would want me to do what i'm truly passionate about and um 
so his he passed away seven and a half going on eight years now and that that process of grief that journey of grief has been a roller coaster to put it one way um I mean the first few months were excruciating um it was honestly a blur of getting up going to school coming home um we sort of my mom my dad my brother we all sort of went our different ways for a little bit as as we initially started processing things and um my brother was very quiet about about his processing um he did a lot of a lot of writing about my brother um and that was sort of sort of his way of doing it and my dad it took him a very long time to be able to talk about Patrick and he was never and really still isn't open about his grief um he would sometimes sort of just close himself um in his office and go through pictures of Patrick and videos of Patrick and I think that was one of one of his ways of dealing with it and my mom I think um finding somebody else to take care of um and being able to help other families was her her way of coping and i still didn't know how to cope i was doing okay but there there was more that i needed and i didn't realize it until many many years later um probably about 2 years ago at this point that connecting with other siblings who lost um a sibling with special needs was was what i needed um the problem was for so long there wasn't anything out there <clears throat> there were support groups for um those with siblings with special needs there were groups for those going through the loss of a sibling but there was nothing that really combined those two the sibling groups were great um the loss of the sibling groups were great but i couldn't relate to how how our siblings had died or the relationships we really had with our siblings because i think having a sibling with special needs means you have an entirely different relationship with that sibling um before um Patrick was born when I was 4 
So for almost 13 years of my life, so much of my life revolved around him. Um, and being as, uh, taking such a large part, uh, a large role in his care, uh, you have a really, really deep relationship. And I mean, um, it was almost like I was another parent. Um, and so I, it wasn't the same as losing a typically developing sibling or from what I've heard um, from those who have lost typically developing siblings, it, I didn't feel like I could relate the same way to them. And then in the support groups for those with, um, for siblings of those with special needs, I could relate to them because we had so many of the same experiences regarding our siblings, but I felt sort of lost there too, because they were talking about what their sibling was doing that day. And I was talking about when my sibling used to do that. And so I just felt sort of lost, sort of in between. And then I came across the loss of a special needs sibling group on Facebook. And I immediately cried. I, it was late one night and the group hadn't, hadn't existed for very long when I found it. And I sat there in my room in the dark and just bawled. I had found my place. I had found those who understood what I was going through. And what I found pretty quickly was that everybody in that group was going through the same thing that I was, that trying to find your place, trying to find those who understood. And we're still a relatively small group, but knowing that I'm not alone, um, that there are others out there going through um, very similar situations brought me so much comfort. And I know there's things that I can share with that group that nobody else would understand. Um, not, not even my parents, because in a family, at least for my family, um, grieving the loss of a child with special needs. Um, I mean, or for those who uh, lost a adult sibling with special needs. My family, the way my mom saw the loss and the way I saw the loss were different just because of our relationship to my brother. I mean, that was my mom's youngest child that she lost. And I mean, she still is deeply, deeply impacted by that and has such a fear of losing another child. And 
so I I found I found my place where I could share my story and connect with with others going through something similar and I mean now through this podcast um a couple people have written blog posts about their siblings um just being able to talk about it um and I know some people are much much earlier in their grief journey it's been months it's been maybe a year two years since the loss of their sibling and then there's people on the other end um I'm almost eight years um from the time I lost my brother and I'm sure there are people out there who are more than that um and then you have those who lost siblings when the sibling was younger um my brother was 13 you have those who lost their siblings when they were in their 20s their 30s um and then I mean I was 17 when I lost my brother so I was on the fairly younger end of that um my typically developing brother was 14 at the time and so our experience with grief was so much different than someone who lost their sibling when they were 25 30 35 but when it comes down to it there's something we can all relate to um and just share those um share those stories both the good and the bad uh, and talk about things like what do you do when it's your sibling's birthday what do you do on the anniversary of their death and sometimes it might be oh I saw this happen today and it reminded me of my sibling I mean for me there was one day this was maybe a year ago at this point where there was a fire truck sitting outside my apartment was on was on a call and I just sat there in my room and bawled because it reminded me of all the nights where that was the scene at at my parents house with my brother and my brother was sick and needed to go to the hospital um I mean those times it got to the point where you know the uh firefighters the EMTs were greeting us by name at four in the morning and you know we're half asleep and um just trying to get to the door to get it open for them um but yeah it's it's not an easy journey and everybody says it it gets easier and I don't know if I would say it gets easier or you just learn to to navigate it a little bit better um 
because siblings take up so much so much of your heart that I think many other siblings can relate to this where it feels like you lose a part of yourself when you lose your sibling and yeah just being able to reflect on that and it's a constant reflection of who my brother was and what what his loss means um and also all that he's taught me both in life and as weird as it might sound his death because he was so strong until until his last moments and he made everyone laugh um he was quite the jokester um but also just thinking about how there's so much in life that can be thrown at you and I feel like our siblings navigate that with such such grace they they get more thrown at them than most people do in their entire lives and just trying to have even an ounce of that of that grace to navigate through those obstacles of life um is is really my goal and a lot of the times it's easier said than done um but i am so thankful every day for the 13 years i got with my brother but i do find a sense of peace in that he is no longer in pain um yeah that's that's patrick and that's that's who patrick was to me well he definitely sounds like a special kid it's funny how they all have that one thing that they fixate on you said he loved fire trucks for my brother it was a combination of disney movies and he always had uh, video boxes so just like the empty clear video boxes uh, that would kind of like hinge open and shut and my mom would take like if he had books that he really liked and they were just like shredded she would take pieces of those and kind of tape them on the inside and towards the end she just got like really colorful duct tape and he would just sit there and stem with it he would just flip it over and if you watched him he would hit his elbow with it. He would flip it and hit his elbow and flip it and hit his elbow. You know, so it's funny the kind of things they fixate on. I know there was one kid that he went to school with when he was younger in Oklahoma who liked to take things apart. Um, There was one who loved batteries. You know, they just find that one thing and they kind of fixate on it. But yeah, with, with the coping with the loss, you know, mine mine was 
definitely more recent, just a year and a half. I know for his first birthday, we got together and we ate his favorite foods. We watched, Kimber, what movie we watched, but we watched one of his favorite movies. Might have been Mary Poppins, you know, and one of the first things I did to try and cope with was was right. The thing that I read for my first episode, I had written that 15 days after he passed away. And that was the first real time that I actually put it out there. You know, what I was feeling, I, I put it into words and I put it on paper and it made it more real. Because within those first two weeks, I mean, it just those, it was just a haze. It didn't feel real at times. Like, are we really planning my brother's funeral? You know, is my brother really gone? You know, because there was so much in my parents' house still that reminded me of him. You know, his, he had three rooms really in the house that were his. He had the front room when you walked in the front door. We had his couch, he had his TV, all of his books and toys were in there. Then he had his bedroom and then he had a bed in the computer room, which he ended up sleeping on for a while. That's just where he would sleep. It was the box spring and the mattress just on the floor. That way he could get in and out of it. But for the longest time, the those rooms stayed the same you know it didn't change it didn't try to take anything out or put anything in and so every time I would go over there I'd walk in and look right to my left and there's all of his stuff you know and it's like he's not in there or you walk down the hall and you fully expect him to be laying in his bed on a feed and he's not in there you know and there was a lot of that for those first few months and then When my mom finally decided to start cleaning some of it out, then it was going through everything. And there would be, hey, we're going through his clothes. If there's any of it that you want, you know, come over and we'll go through it. If there's any of his toys that you want, you you know, go through those. And then they still I still have one of one of my brother's teddy bears, but stays in in my bed with me and you know that's that's my piece of piece of Patrick here with me now yeah he loved Sesame Street like old school Sesame Street and he loved the count and uh, my mom talked about a little bit that she would take a count with him everywhere he went and we would use that to make him smile he had several (laughs) of them and I actually have one of them I have I'll, I'll I don't know if I ever posted the picture in the Facebook group or not but He's I I made like a little memorial on my wall in the living room and I've got a shelf and then I did a framed picture of him that's hanging and then there's one in a frame that's sitting on the shelf and then I painted this little wooden square that had his full name and then his birthday and his death day and then I have he had lots of little figurines that he liked to play and throw around too and I have a little trolley from uh, the trolley for Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. I have that and that's sitting on the shelf and then his count is sitting on the shelf. And then I have a um, a dried rose from his funeral and then I have a dried rose from my aunt's funeral and those are both 
setting on there also. So it was kind of like my little, you know, that was that was a project that I did during COVID when everything was locked down. I, I put that together. But that I think that was one unique thing about my processing grief and trying to cope was we went into COVID right after. And, you know, it was because it was his funeral was at the very beginning of February. And then our my work shut down March 15th. And that's when we went into that two weeks. And then, of course, it, it ended up I was off for about two and a half, almost three months. And so there's all that time where I'm at home and it's this constant rain cloud almost that's over your head. And of course I say that, and then it makes me think of, of Winnie the Pooh. And that was one of his favorites too, you know, it's where he goes and dips himself in the mud and then he gets a balloon. Cause he's going to be a little <laughs> rain cloud. Cause he's trying to get the honey. Yeah. Every, every single thing I, I, I say, I can link to something that makes me think of my brother. And it's so, it's so funny. It's, it happens all the time, but going into that lockdown with that, it's like I had to confront it. You know, it's not like I could push it aside because there wasn't really much left. There was me in the house and that was it. And you kind of had to or it was going to break you, you know, and yeah, and and having to deal with the anger of him being taken and then getting past that and then the the flood of sadness and feeling like you couldn't surface like you're you know those dreams where you're like trying to swim and swim and swim and and break the surface of the water it just felt like I was never gonna get there and then finding the group on Facebook like you said it's it's amazing how much of a difference that made because you know people tell you all the time you know like they find out that your brother passed away and you people who don't know what it's like to lose a sibling, let alone somebody with special needs. They don't really know what to say. There's like that standard, oh, I'm really sorry for your loss. And that's about it. You know, they don't really know what else to say. And so I feel like that could be an entire podcast episode of its own. The things yes. people say after just um, the things that they say to you. It, it's yeah. funny because, you know, yeah. they mean well, but just some of the stuff that they say that you're kind of like, I, I don't think you really meant to say it that way. You, they mean well, but, you know, then all of a sudden I'm in this group of people who do know, who do get it. And, you know, being able to be on that Zoom call and, and sharing the story of him passing and verbally saying it to people who got it. And, I mean, it just like I fully spent. It's like I'm gonna get on here. I'm gonna say my story. I'm not. I'm not gonna cry. I'm not gonna cry. You know, I, you know, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be strong. I'm not gonna cry. I'm gonna. You know, I'm gonna be one of those people that can tell the story of him passing and not well up with tears in my eyes or cry like a baby. Uh, that's not at all how it went. You know, and just the it it really helped. It, it I think that was kind of the beginning of being able to move past it and, and work through it was finding a group of people who got it. You know, because, yeah, my parents, like you said, you know, you, your parents, they've lost a child with special needs and, you know, the bond that that is. And so they have to process that in their own way. But then you have the added the layer. It's not just sibling. It's sibling and 
there's when you're a caretaker for them, it's sibling. And then there's a parent element to it kind of also you become a third parent for them. Exactly. And so you're having to process. I lost my brother, but you're also having to process. I lost this person that I poured my life into that I helped take care of. I changed diapers. I did feedings. I, you know, checked their blood sugar. I helped give the medicine, you know. The, the day in and day out things that you did and, and having and to process that, that you don't do them anymore. Yeah. And that aspect of thinking that, oh, there will be a time when my parents won't be able to take care of him. And then I'll be the primary caregiver. Yeah. Like, and then it's like overnight that that will never be a reality. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Cause there are definitely thoughts, you know, cause um, my parents, like, they didn't meet super young and have kids right away, you know, so I, I knew that if, I mean, at some point, sometimes we're like, I, I would have these thoughts of, oh, my brother's just gonna, you know, live forever, he's gonna be like an old dude, <laughs> all gray and everything, you know, and we're gonna be sitting there watching Disney movies, you know, with gray hair and, you know, all this, and, you know, obviously that didn't happen, Um, but yeah, there were the thoughts of, well, my parents are going to they're either going to get to a point where they can't take care of him anymore or they're going to pass away. And then it's going to be me, you know, and I'm like, oh, I got this. I got this. I can take care of my brother. But, you know, then there was also, well, you know, holy crap, I, I would be the one that has to take care of my brother. And, you know, would I be able to make sure that he has what he needs? And, you know, so there was there was definitely the confidence of, oh, yeah, I got this because I, you know, done it for 30 years. But then there's also, do do I have this? You know, will I be able to do it? You know, it, it takes an amazing amount of strength. I mean, my mom is probably the strongest person I know because she literally sacrificed having a career, having, you know, she sacrificed all of it, all of her time that she poured into him. And, you know, it's like, well, if I became his caretaker, I would, you know, would I quit my job? Would I, would I stay home with him? You know, there's, there's a lot that goes into it and you don't yeah, really yeah. realize how much goes into it until it's not there anymore, you know, and, and, and trying to fill that void. Cause yeah, my mom was his caretaker for 30 years. That was her job was Aaron. And, you know, then all of a sudden that's gone. How do you fill that void? I mean, it wasn't as big of a void for me because, like I said, I, I moved out when I was 26. So, you know, there were, you know, years where, you know, I could kind of do my own thing. But there was definitely still a void. There was, you know, all of a sudden there wasn't this smiling, happy face that greeted me in the front room every time I went over there, you know, there were no more smiles. There were no more, you know, photos. There were no more videos of us being silly, you know, mm -hmm. and it's, it's, I think that's one of the things I struggle with the most is I've taken my last photo. I've taken my last video. I've taken my last selfie with him, you know? And so that's, that's hard is knowing that there are no, there's no more. What we have is it and there's no more. And trying to process that that finite of a of a piece of information. Like it's so final. It's 
it just stopped. It's done. There's no more, you know, and I think that was tough, you know, having to work through that. But, you know, the group helped and, you know, I, I have some friends that, you know, they know all about my brother and, and talking to them and, you know, work was really great with, you know, making sure that I could be there when he passed. And, you know, it, I think it would have, my grief would have been different if I hadn't been there. If it had been a situation of I had gone to work that day and then getting a call saying, hurry and get here. We think he's going to go, you know, and then the, the, the panic of the drive there, you know, and I think that would have, it would have been different. It would have, it would have felt different. It, it would have been processed differently, especially like if I had made it in time, you know, so I'm very grateful that I was able to be there. You know, it's, it's, it's like, like I've said many times, it's, it's so different and it's so strange. And, you know, the way I kind of process it is, you know, I literally, I sat down and watched some of his favorite movies and I've never cried more in my life. Watching Pooh's Grand Adventure, some of the opening things that they say in that, you know, were, you know, Christopher Robin telling Pooh, I'll always be with you and I'm bawling like a baby, you know, and in all these different things, you know, some of the if you just sit down and read some of the quotes from Winnie the Pooh, it's like, oh, my gosh, like they're so poignant and 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 on topic sometimes for like losing somebody, you know, and we his funeral was Disney inspired. You know, we we thought that would be a good send off for him was to have Disney and my parents pastor at the time they put in he put in Winnie the Pooh quotes to you know what what he what he spoke at it and you know it's I mean I still have I mean just the other day it kind of smacked me in the face again and I kind of just had to take a moment and breathe and remind myself that yes he's gone but he's not in pain. He's not hurting. He is, you know, he's he's happy now. He's not in any pain. And to wish him back would be to wish him back into that pain. And I, no matter how much I miss him, I wouldn't wish that back on him, you know. And so the eventually the feelings of peace and knowing that he is at peace and happy and not hurting, it gets to a point where those kind of outweigh the, I wish you were here. And, you know, getting to that point was, it it took a bit and I didn't think that I would get there. I thought it would take me a lot longer to get to that point, but you know, I, I would rather him be, not here and not hurting and be happy and whole than him being here in pain and suffering. And, you know, I mean, that's it. I mean, I, and I feel like that's still me kind of caring for him in a way. Um, I don't think that that 
caring aspect will ever go away because, you know, I kind of replace it almost, you know, now it's volunteering to go help special needs Olympics doing that and, and trying to get, it's weird how we gravitate back to it. We lose Mm -hmm. them and then we find ourselves trying to dive right back in head first um, because we miss being around it as much of a a trial and sometimes it could be tedious and I'm not going to lie. It's not all, you know, it's not all rainbows and sunshine and happy. Uh You know, sometimes you're like, really, you just had to do a diaper now, (laughs) you know, know, inconvenient times and places. Of course, you know, have this huge, massive diaper that goes everywhere right when you're trying to do something and you just have to, you just kind of sigh you just kind of then you let it out a little bit and then you push it away and then you, you go and you take care of him, you know, but finding yourself wanting to just get right back into it, you know, it's like, it's like a habit almost. And it's just really funny how that happens. But I mean, did you have anything that you did to kind of help you cope? I mean, I know you said that you had taken like some breakfast casseroles and stuff like that to, different people but did you do anything on your own to kind of cope or kind of help make it feel easier at first I didn't know how to cope and I think because my family was coping in such different ways we didn't even know how to help each other and like, there was a bereavement center. Um, my parents live in St. Louis, and there was a bereavement center there. And my mom later said, she told uh, me and my brother, she's like, yeah, I didn't think you guys needed that. And I was thinking about it, and I was like, oh, I think I really could have used that, though. And... Like, that was just such a disconnect in my family of we didn't know how each other was processing it because we weren't, we weren't talking about it. And, yeah, I think there, there were nights where it was a lot of journaling about it and writing, but I didn't know where to go. I didn't know where to turn. And, I mean, as a 17-year-old, I was still figuring out life and yeah I didn't know how to cope and it took me many years before I realized that I still hadn't fully addressed it and it was something I needed to work through and it's something I'm still working through and probably will be forever to some extent but When it first happened, I didn't know what to do. Yeah, I think that feeling of loss is is hard, you know. Trying to get over that first hurdle of not feeling lost without them. Mm -hmm. I think that was the hardest part is, is getting past that, you know. And then, you know processing the emotions was another big hurdle and you know coming to terms with the finality of it you know it's and and people cope in different ways you know some people 
you know, somebody passes, you know, a parent loses a, a child and they never, ever touch their room again. And their room is literally the shrine to their child. It, it's like a time capsule almost. They mm-hmm. just don't touch it. You know, others, they just dive into volunteering and, 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 you know, trying to make themselves useful in another way, you know, since, you know, you kind of feel useless almost because you don't have this person to pour your life into anymore. So you start helping others or you journal about it, you write about it. Um, You know, some people write music about it. You know, there's so many different, different things that you can do to, to put it out there. I think one of the best things you can do is journaling. I know, Mm -hmm. um, I know it helped me writing it down, you know, getting those feelings because they never feel more concrete and real than when they're right there. They're, they are physically there. It makes it more real. And I think you can't really process it until it is real. Um, Until it feels real to you, you can't move past it. And some people have trouble. Some people have trouble trouble talking about it you know they they don't want to talk about it because it it is still too painful and I think once once you can learn to talk about it and share it getting it out there I think is is the first step in being able to process grief and and work through it is is physically saying I lost my brother I lost my sibling you know this is this is how it happened. This is when it happened. And he's gone. And now I have to figure it out. And, you know, that's to, to anybody that is listening who has very recently lost somebody. The, the Facebook group that we're in, the loss of a special needs sibling, is it's awesome. Every so often, I th- we were just saying that we need to have another one with with zoom calls where where we get on and talk about if there's something that's just really laying heavy on us that day and getting it out and and having other people validate that what you're feeling is is real what you're feeling is okay um that you're not wrong to feel the way that you feel um it's very helpful it's therapeutic to hear others talk about what they're going through what they went through and just just sharing about our siblings, you know, it's a it's a great outlet. And so I strongly encourage if you're not part of the group already to to join that group because it's it's a great place to feel like like you belong. And I think that's important too because you've lost that part of your identity. You're no longer a sibling of someone with special needs. Um, you are someone who has lost a sibling with special needs. And this group is a great way to transition to that. I know it's helped me greatly um, just seeing the posts every day from people. And it's a great help. Um, so I strongly encourage um, if you're listening and you have lost a sibling and you're not part of that group and you're on Facebook to, to join, um, share your story. You know, we're all open ears ready to listen and ready to support and I think that's really nice too is having a community of people who get it and who support you and it's just it's extremely helpful we we normally um 
answer questions. I say normally. This is only the third episode. It's only my second episode with an actual other person on it. So I don't, I don't, I had hoped we'd have some questions about grief, but I think just talking about it um, was good. Um, I feel like we could have multiple episodes on grief because there's so many aspects of it and, and how to process it. So um, I might revisit grief, you know, and, and some, some different things about that. Um, But uh, I hope that this episode has been helpful. Um, Thank you, Michaela, for sharing about Patrick um, and his life. Um, You know, it's hearing about these different special needs siblings. It's funny because as you were as you were telling your story, I'm like, yep, my brother, my brother had that. Yep. We had to do that with my brother. There's Uh there's there's similarities, you know, the diapers and the tube feedings and the frequent hospital visits. So it's like, yep, I'm I'm familiar with all of that, you know. Um, so we have commonalities, there's differences, um, but we have a lot more in common than we think. And, um, that camaraderie, I think is a great thing. It's a great thing to find. And, um, so thank you for sharing that and sharing his story next week. Um, we'll have another guest. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head who it is and it escapes me, but we will have another guest next week. Haven't really picked out the topic yet. I just kind of, if if something hits me, I kind of go with it. So, um, but yeah, we'll have another guest next week. I might in the future do some more that are just me. I feel like Hopefully you guys don't mind listening to just me talk every so often, Um, but um, I might do some more solo ones here um, just to share some more thoughts of mine. Um, But yeah, we'll have another guest next week. My plan is a a guest every week. Um, If you're listening and you would like to be on an episode, please reach out to me. Um, You can send me an email at sibchivalry at gmail.com. Um, if you're in the loss of a sibling, uh, loss of a special needs sibling group, you can send me a message on Facebook. Um, you can just post on the page itself. Uh, there's a Facebook page, Sibling Chivalry. Um, just reach out. Let me know. Um, I would love to have as many guests as possible to talk about our siblings, uh, to learn about your sibling. Um, if your sibling is still alive, you can still be on the show. Um, you don't have to have lost your sibling to be on the show. But yeah, um, look for this, you know, this next episode that'll be coming up. Um, and, you know, as I said the last time, um, my goal every week or every day is to make somebody smile. Um, my brother always made everybody smile. So my goal is to go out there every day and at least make one person smile. So I'm going to give everybody listening an assignment. Um, between now and the next episode, make it a goal. Make one person smile every day and you'll be amazed at how it can change your day to make somebody smile. So thank you for listening. Um, again, Michaela, thank you for coming on. And yeah, we, yeah, for having me. Yeah, absolutely. It was a blast. Um, and we will talk to you all next week. So everybody have a great week. Go out there and make somebody smile.